I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And welcome to the latest episode of the Inside Brockle podcast. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Elliot. Um, I mean, what a week we've had. And if we can't smile on this Monday morning, then when are we going to? So, looking forward to this. Monday morning, I've got those that, that Friday night feeling already yeah. on a Monday morning. What a week it has been for Blackburn Rovers. You are absolutely correct. Into the last eight of the FA Cup. Fourth in the championship, six points off the top two. It's all rosy on this week's episode. And and what a week it has been. You're absolutely right, Ryan. We'll start at the beginning. It feels like a a while ago now. Leicester City in the Cup. 2-1 victory at the King Power Stadium. We said on last week's podcast, going to the King Power, that it was a bit of a free hit. That, you know, let's use the West Ham win in the Carabao Cup as motivation, that they can do it. But I don't think anyone expected the level of performance that Rovers turned in in Leicester. Absolutely unbelievable performance. By far the best they have played this season. So brave in possession, playing out from the back, through the thirds, inviting Leicester to come and press them, which left space in behind their midfield and and in front of their back four, which Smodix and Dolan just had a field day exploiting. And off the ball... Just relentless pressing, which which brought about both goals, of course, with Tyrese Dolan um, scoring the first after a, a, an errant pass from Leicester playing out. Uh, wins the ball, drives, curling strike. On the replay, I think Everson should actually do better. It is quite central. I didn't really realise that live. But he hits it quite early. I don't think the keeper's quite set. And it was, it was good for Dolan to get that goal because he should have scored. He missed an absolute sitter just a few moments before. And then the second goal as well, relentless from Galley, absolutely charging down that right-hand side to, to get the ball off Luke Thomas. Great sliding tackle, drives in field, feeds Schmodix. And he just wanted it more, didn't he? Just He just drove between the two centre-backs, poked it past Everson for 2-0. And it really could have been 4-0 without over-exaggerating before Leicester pulled one back. You think of the Ryan Hedges chance at 1-0 where that is a real sitter. He should absolutely bury that. Then there's the, the second Smodic chance after a quick one-two where he drives it in. It's a good save, that one, by Everson with his legs. But I thought Blackburn were absolutely phenomenal, Ryan. It must have been brilliant for you watching at home as well. The atmosphere from the away end, I'm sure, carried through the TV really well. And, and genuinely one of those unforgettable nights. And when we sum up the end of this season uh, and look back from May, whether Blackburn have been promoted, whether they got in the playoffs, whether they've collapsed, whatever happens this will be one of the nights that ultimately is a standout from the season. I think what you said earlier on was, you know, just absolutely sensational. Where did that come from? So, yeah, before the game, it was one of them where you just hope rather than expect. But from that first whistle, we could see, wow, this is going to be a bit of a performance here. And the thing that I've 
not really seen all season is what is the JDT plan and blueprint for how he's going to beat sides. That execution that he did on Tuesday night, JDT and the team did, you could just see it all in full view. Everything that you've said there, that press from the front, the inverted fullbacks, all those elements of play that, that you've just spoken about there, that was the way that JDT wants to play. I think if he'd said before the game, I'm going to show you a video of how I want my team to play. That is it. That performance that we saw is absolutely it. 1-11 to 11 and the subs who came on, all of them bought into that system and that way of playing. And to just do it all on national television in the way that we did, I had loads of mates texting me saying, is this how Rovers have been playing all season? And it's just like, you know, it was such a proud performance for us. And I watched it at home with my two boys. I could have gone if I wanted to, but... I didn't want to do that. You know, I stayed at home with my two lads. I've got a six-year-old who, even him as a six-year-old, could see the difference in that performance from Rovers because he's watched some of the 1-0 wins and some of the losses and some of the draws. But even he could see that performance on Tuesday night. He was absolutely buzzing with it. I was buzzing with it. And it was just the perfect Rovers performance. And it was such a perfect Rovers performance that we did it in the Rovers way. Even though we could have been 4-0 up, we still had a shaky at the end because that's how Rovers always do it to us. They always get our ticker going, don't they? So, yeah, 2-2 would have been an absolute travesty for the level of that performance. So it was great to see it through and, you know, just magnificent. And we'll talk about Sheffield United soon. What an opportunity we've got now in the quarterfinals. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it, you, the best way to summarize it, it would have been an absolute tragedy if they hadn't got the victory. You're, you're absolutely right about that. When you think of the chances they missed, I say two I've just summed it there, and then there was other half chances like the one where Hedges just poked wide as well. They, they were dominant. It felt like in that second half particularly, every time I looked up from my laptop, they were attacking, they'd won the ball back and they were going at that Leicester final third. Brendan Rodgers, happy to admit after the game that they were second best and they, they were dominated. Mm. And you couldn't argue with that, really. You would have, you'd have looked very silly if you tried to. You did wonder, though, 2-0, you've missed all those great chances in typical Blackburn Rovers fashion. Harvey Barnes gets to the line, good pullback, and Iheanacho unmarked in the box. The first time that Hayden Carter or Dom Himes probably switched off all game, that they, they were phenomenal at the back. But it was quite a, a simple goal to score. I think Thompson would be quite frustrated with that. When you've got so much Premier League quality, you want it to be a, a cohesive move that completely cuts you open. Probably could have defended it a little bit better. But even then, Ainsley Pez wasn't overly worked. There was obviously the, the late header from Daniel Lamarty that came off the right-hand post. And it was nervy. Of course it was. Pez made a good save actually from um, a curling Iheanacho shot. And we should mention the saves he made at 0-0 as well because they were absolutely crucial. Yeah. If Rovers go 1-0 down, it's a completely different game because suddenly it's quite easy to be confident playing out from the back and playing through the first. Well, it's not easy, but it's easier when it's 0-0 or when you're playing well and creating chances. If you go 1-0 down early, which they probably should have with the double save from Tete and then Dennis Pratt. Um, and then there was another one from Jamie Vardy as well at nil-nil. Then it would have been a completely different game. So credit to Pez for those early saves. I do think they were genuinely quite match-defining. But from that minute on, from the what, 10th minute onwards, it was just total domination until the 80th minute. You would have just liked them to have been a little bit more clinical and, and it probably should have been a 4-1 scoreline instead of 2-1. But in the end, they, they hung on and got the three points, which they have been quite good at doing this season. If you if we think back, there's not been many late equalisers that Rovers have conceded. When they've got in front, they've generally been quite well, uh, done quite well at defending that. 
Yeah, and I think that's the pleasing thing for me this season. Um, you know, that resilience and that standing firm. Um, hopefully you can tell me the stats shortly about how many 1-0 wins that we've had this season, for example. I think it's 10. It could be more than that. Um, that is the really pleasing thing. And for such a young side as well, for them to stand firm in that way, you know, Leicester make a lot of noise at their stadium. And that first 10 minutes where they are putting us under that pressure and Ainsley Pears is having to make those saves... Players like Carter, you know, they could have really felt a bit nervous in an environment like that. But no, they stood firm. They rode that little wave. And as you say, we got our noses in front. And then at the other end of the match, you know, Iniacho scores. They then bring on uh, Pats and Daka as well. So at one point, they had Vardy, Iniacho, Daka, Barnes, all on the pitch. That is a lot of Premier League quality there. And again, that could have made people feel nervous. But we conceded the goal. Stood real firm. There were a couple of nervy moments. I can't remember who hit the shot. It could have been Samari or Mendy hit an absolute oh, rasp. Mendy, yeah, yeah, that that oh. was uh, that was one of them that, that was inches away. <laughs> I thought that was going in. So I'm not saying that we're sat here with cigars out <laughs> going into uh, the final ten minutes. But you've got to say, on the whole, we did stand firm and fully deserve the win. And if we are thinking about promotion this season and making the playoffs. This performance, standing firm, the one that we've just seen against Sheffield United, they're the ones that make you reach top six. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think what you mentioned about the blueprint as well, I think this really was, you know, what does a Blackburn Rovers team look like in an ideal world when everything's going well? That is what Yondal Thomason wants. And that's what they've been building to this season. I found it quite interesting that post-match, he was quite quick to mention about the pitch and the difference in quality. We know there have been some issues at Ewood Park particularly over the winter when the Brockhall uh, training pitches were frozen over. So they had to train at Ewood um, and played internal games. I think that was before the Norwich game, if memory serves me right. And it's not really healed brilliantly since, particularly in the sort of right half, if you're looking from the Jack Walker stand, particularly down the, the right channel attacking the away end, which is where obviously Smodix drove for, for the winning goal against Sheffield United. It is quite bobbly and it does make a difference when you are trying to play one, two touch playing out from the back. So I found it interesting that he brought that up after the match against Leicester and then actually in his pre-match press conference before the game against Sheffield United at the weekend. We had a, f- a few good moments. Obviously, Beza and uh, Daki were on co-coms in the... In the fr- it's quite funny, really, because they w- walked into the press room and there was an absolute banquet on at the King Power Stadium, which is not what we are used to, uh, particularly at Ewood Park, where catering could, could, uh, could be slightly better, I think it's fair to say. And it was just very funny with them walking in like, oh, do you get this every week? We've got chicken curry. There was pies and homemade sauce rolls at half time, cake stands. We were like, I wanted to be quick to point out, we, we don't get that. And then we had to quickly tell them what the best grounds were because they wanted to have them ranked. I think, yeah, Leicester and West Ham have definitely been up there the best. Bristol City, although I didn't go, I'm told, was was very good as well. And, and Swansea and Borough probably deserve a shout out as well. So that, that, was, uh, that was quite... Funny getting their uh, their views as they walked into the press room. So obviously that win against Leicester means it is now Sheffield United between Blackburn Rovers and their first ever trip to the new Wembley. What do you think about the draw, Ryan? For me, it's got to be a positive. that Ultimately, there is going to be a championship club in the last four of the FA Cup, which is phenomenal. It's an all the only all EFL tie. You look who else, you know, Grimsby have got to go to Brighton, uh, Burnley away at Manchester City. It could have been a lot tougher. And although it won't be easy to go to Bramall Lane, Sheffield United are particularly good at home. It's a game where they've got nothing to lose. You've just got to chuck everything at it 
and there's no reason why they can't go and get themselves to Wembley. Yeah, I'm not too disappointed with the draw. You know, it could have been <clears throat> much easier, excuse me. So, you know, we could have had Grimsby at home, for example, or any side at home apart from Man City. I'd probably fancy us against with the way that we're playing Would you against... have preferred like a Fulham at home or a Brighton at home to, to go in away to Sheffield United? I think Sheffield United is going to be tough. It is a ground that we have struggled at historically over the years. They make a good noise, all of those types of things. So, yeah, it could have been easier. I would have preferred maybe Fulham or Brighton at home. But we can go there with every confidence now, particularly with the manner of the, the victory on Saturday. You know, psychologically, that is important for us now. So, if Rovers were going to be away from home because of the, the look of the FA Cup draw, Sheffield United is... there's no Grimsby was the only other easier quote-unquote tie that we could have got so Sheffield United away we've got to be happy with that and as you say against another championship side who have shown themselves to be vulnerable at times this season Middlesbrough went there and played on the front foot played really confidently and got the result in the league recently Wrexham have caused them problems there's no reason why we can't do the same if we just go and apply ourselves in the same way that we've done in our last two games Leicester just because of that press and how we just went there and said, we don't care that you're Leicester City. We don't care that you're the Premier League. We're going to come and play our style of play. And then the result that we've just had, the way that in particular in that second half, we limited them to not much. Both of those elements of the last two performances, take that to Bramall Lane. There's every chance that we can go through. So yeah, I'm, I'm not too disappointed with the draw. It could have been easier, but you know, happy overall, I think. I suppose when you're the second lowest ranked team ultimately left in the competition, you, the likelihood exactly. is you're going to get a, a draw a team that are above you ultimately in the in the uh, in the football pyramid of food chain. I posed a question on Twitter last week before the Sheffield United game and said, if you had to throw one of the games or like guarantee one win and you'd lose the other between the league game obviously at the weekend and the FA Cup game, which would you go for? And I was genuinely shocked about the amount of people that said they'd rather win the league game. Because I know, obviously, it's a bit redundant now that they beat Sheffield United on Saturdays so will come on to. But to get to Wembley, I know not everyone's a big fan of the semi-finals being at Wembley. I'm not particularly, but without being disrespectful, you know, beggars can't be choosers for Blackburn to get to Wembley. They, they yeah. don't have that many opportunities, do they? So it would be a remarkable day out for the club, equally by the fact they've somehow not been yet. And ultimately, if they'd lost at the weekend on Saturday, it would not have been terminal for the top six hope by any means. So the opportunity to get to Wembley, they've got to prioritise that, in my opinion, over, over certainly over the, the league game. And, and I want them to go full strength at Bramley and really give it a go. Yeah, it's a real opportunity and it's a, it's a big day out for everyone, isn't it? So I think for the reasons that you've just said there about the impact on the league, you know, it's not massively devastating. We're going to do very well to come in the top two, even with this result that we've just had over Sheffield United. So... Nocturnal. Four wins in a row, and he's already talking about the top two. <laughs> Don't you get me excited on a Monday morning? Not good, not good. Um, so yeah, the FA Cup side. Um, you know, I've just spoken about my two my two boys and you know, memories and what do you remember as a kid? What's the first Rovers memory that you've got? An FA Cup semi-final at Wembley could be generational for a lot of children my um, my kids' age and, and maybe slightly older than that as well. So it's a chance for a a real day out, and as you say, beggars can't be choosers. It's been a fairly thin wedge for Rovers since being relegated from the Premier League. So, yeah, I would like the day out every time. However, I do understand why people have voted in the way that they have, because the opportunity for Rovers to get back into the Premier League 
what that would mean financially, what that means off the pitch in particular. We cannot state how important that is for Rovers with the amount of debt that we're carrying towards the owners, with the FFP regulations, you know, Premier League football, those finances are critical for Rovers going forward. So I can understand why people have used their head over their heart, but I'm going to be ruled by my heart. A day out with my boys, with my family, down at Wembley, with all these other Rovers fans in their blue and white. We all remember the League Cup final. That was fantastic. I want that again. Yeah, if it was that or promotion to Premier League, you'd go promotion to the Premier League every day. But to sacrifice one game, as the, the question was, yeah, which ultimately... Were our Rovers' top six hopes going to be dictated by one game against Sheffield United in the league? I would argue the percentage is very small, isn't it? Obviously, it's completely irrelevant because they beat Sheffield United. <laughs> let's hope that's not. That doesn't mean they're going to lose the FA Cup quarterfinals. People will be coming at me now if, uh, if that does happen. But it was a dress rehearsal for the 19th at Ewood Park. Two changes to the team, kept the same from four. And I think that decision was vindicated. There was plenty of discussion before the game. Does Ben Burrett and Diaz come straight back into the team? My verdict was, my opinion was no. I think that front four has done enough to justify it. Something very interesting, actually, that I'd not considered, which Thomason brought up in his pre-match press conference, that the front four that's done so well in recent weeks, um, oh, sorry, the, well, the front four that all played at Leicester, I should say, sorry. Um, they all started the under-21s game against Huddersfield only a few weeks ago. And that further underlines the point that he's made, that it's not a punishment. We're keeping everyone up to speed and your chance will come to make a big impact on this season. And that's interesting because as we record on Monday morning, the under-21s play against Leicester tonight. It's going to be a very strong team. We're expecting pretty much most of the the first team that didn't play on Saturday to go down. Brereton Diaz, it wasn't ruled out that he could even be involved. I would be surprised given how fatigued he was before the injury. But the likes of Phillips, uh, Morton, Garrett, Wharton, I would expect them all to be involved. Jack Vale as well, who didn't play at the weekend. But back onto Saturday, um, a fantastic team goal, which proved to be the winner after only four minutes. Sweeping counter-attack, brilliant run from Smodix down the right. I think, again, when I was talking about the pitch, you could see, if you watch it back and you focus, you can see how it's bobbling up a little bit on his knees and um, his ankles, and he's trying to keep it under control, which he did very well to do. Good ball into Dolan, slightly behind him, which means he checks inside. Nice reverse pass for Pickering, and an emphatic finish into the far corner. I thought Sheffield United probably shaded the territory in the first half. But again, what did Ainsley Pears really have to do? He pulled off one decent save from a header which deflected, which you'd expect your goalkeeper to make. There was a big let-off with the Chris Basham run where he weaved yeah. in, a, in a few and, and should have done better with the finish at the end. But aside from that, Sheffield United had comfortable possession in the middle of the pitch, but they didn't really penetrate into Rovers' final third. There wasn't last-ditch tackles or you know, goal line clearances. And at half time at 1-0, Rovers had looked the more threatening when they had the ball. They were doing well on the counter-attack. Dolan smashed the post, of course, which would have made it two. And I thought Gallagher in particular in the first half, I thought he did quite an underrated job of almost, at times he was having to chase his own flick-ons. He he was (laughs) doing a good job at holding it up, linking the play. And I know there was an opportunity where he probably should have got his head up sooner and and squared the ball after another good counter-attack from a corner, which... Those are the sort of moments fans gravitate to more than probably the, oh, he's done well to win that header and chase his own flick on and, and managed to keep the ball in the corner and then bring everyone into play, which I thought it was it was an underrated, particularly first-half performance from him. And yeah, it was such a good team goal, wasn't it, Ryan, to, to cut through them in the way they did? 
that goal, I think there's just so many things you can look out for in that goal because I've watched that goal about 100 times now. Just Don't think just you're like, alone. Oh, what a goal it was. If we just break all of this down, I think it might actually be Sam Gallagher who wins the ball first in the box and then it's Sorba Thomas who gets it, isn't it? Don't underrate the bit that Sorba Thomas does in this move because he has to wriggle out a little bit and find that pass too small. I think the obvious pass as well with Thomas has got is actually to switch it to the left-hand side. Yeah. But he does well to just delay it and then, as you say, sort of outside his boot, prod it into that right channel. That's it. So finds that ball into Smodic. And then what we see from Rovers, if you look at that back, Sam Gallagher, you've just mentioned him, he is like an absolute gazelle down that pitch. He motors about 70, 80 yards from our box as part of that move, but he's not the only one. So Smodic is obviously driving with the ball. What we've got going forward at that point, Thomas, Gallagher, Smodic, Pickering, Dolan, Travis. So I think there's actually six players within the Sheffield United half at the point when Dolan is making that reverse... Uh, Dolan's playing the reverse ball through to Pickering. So it's just absolutely delightful. And Harry Pickering, I'll just say... We've spoken about a lot of players on this pod and, and other stuff over the course of the season. And there's been players in form, out of form, in the side, out the side. I think Pickering has had such a steady but fantastic season for us. He has just looked solid as a rock all season. And the bit that I've been urging to see from Harry Pickering in a Rover shirt, because we saw it at Crewe, I don't think the system and the tactics in his whole time at Rovers, including under Tony Mowbray, has unlocked his attacking potential. Because I think he can do it. With this inverted fullback position that he might now be able to play in this full JDT system, that goal that we saw on Saturday is the bit of Harry Pickering that we might now get to see because he's obviously got that license to go forward. He knows that tactically is covered behind him and that will and desire to go and support Dolan. It was brilliant from Dolan as well just to hold that, play that check pass and the finish and the sound as the ball hits the net. Like Everything about this goal is just perfect, perfect, perfect. What a goal. Yeah, it's pure pure euphoria, isn't it? You've got the, the great feeling off to Tuesday night and then to take the lead after four minutes. That really woke the crowd up. And I have to say, I think Saturday was definitely, from my point of view, one of the best atmospheres I've heard at Ewood Park. There was um, just shy of, of 20,000 in there with, with a decent away end too. Um, so, that yeah, for me, that was one of the best atmospheres. And that really got the place rocking early on. I think with Pickering, you're absolutely right. We've not spoke about him loads because he's just been 7 out of 10 every week, pretty yeah. much, hasn't he? That's a good I do. I do think he's miles better playing in a back four. I don't think he's got that natural attacking thrust to play as a modern wing back. No. So when they play the five, I think he's better coming from deep almost when they play in a four and joining the attack from deeper, swinging crosses in because he has got good delivery. But he's a very intelligent footballer. He's just not necessarily your traditional wing-back. So when they played a back five, I thought they missed a little bit of attacking spark down his side. When it's a back four, and particularly in possession, when it goes to a back three almost, and he tucks in as that left-sided centre-half uh, with Joe Rankin costello moving infield or Britain, whoever it is, he's got really good quality on the ball. We've seen some lovely passing from him. He's got that natural left foot as well on that side. And I think they're a better team with him in, in it, absolutely. The bit that we've not seen, as you said, was that thumping clinical finish, um, which, you know, it's a really, really good strike across the goalkeeper. You know, yeah. it arrows past Fotheringham. He doesn't really have a chance. It was a brilliant goal. It got them off to the perfect start. And as I say, I thought Sheffield United grew back into the game, but without really causing too many problems. It was safe possession. It was easy. I thought they were quite lethargic generally. I, thought, I didn't think they were awful. I think it was more Blackburn playing really well than them playing awfully. Yeah, But there were moments where they'd win the ball back and you're expecting them to spring and really try and catch 
Rovers off guard while they're, they're out of position in transition. And it, it, they just didn't do it. They were quite happy to go back and reset. And then once Blackburn were back in their shape, they, they contained them really well. The second half was a completely different um, different proposition entirely. It was, it was one-way traffic. They, they were absolutely immense. And I find it really encouraging that in the last two games, the first half, they've been much better at being intense from the off. But even second half, they've not then dropped off because we've been crying out, can you start like that from the front? like the Swansea game where they obviously didn't. But now they are doing it from the off and then you're worried, well, are they going to drop off a little bit? Second off, we've not seen that. Both at Leicester and at the weekend, the second half performances have been even better than the first and the first have been much improved. They were front-footed, they were aggressive, they they hunted in packs. Again, so good in their uh, pressing structure. I thought, I have to say, I thought it's hard to pick out star players. I thought Sam Smodic was absolutely fantastic for me. He was him along with Dom Hyam, but I gave my star man to, to Sam Smodix. I thought he was brilliant, deserved a goal, came very close to getting it with the curling strike that, that hit the top of the crossbar. But he was brilliant. He just so good at dropping in, obviously playing as a number 10, dropping into that midfield to almost make it a free link in play. He's quite versatile. He's quite happy popping up on the left. I think we're starting to see some nice combinations between him and Dolan on that side as well in that left channel. And I thought he was absolutely brilliant. He, he's been the epitome of what Blackburn have been great at off the ball. But I think we've we've all been crying out for a little bit more from him. As You know, you are an attacking player. Give us some quality in the final third. And he's really done that in these recent weeks. I thought he was excellent against Leicester. I thought he was very good against uh, Blackpool as well last midweek. And for me, his best performance in a Blackburn Rovers shirt was on Saturday against Sheffield United. And when you think again, I know we spoke about it last week's pod, but the, the void that Bradley Dyke left and how well he was playing... For Smodics to have not started a game in two months, come in and put in the consistency of performance he has, he's been absolutely fantastic in recent weeks. And that just tells you everything about him as as a person. And I'll you know I'll give a nod to the recruitment team at Rovers because you know I think it was under Tony Mowbray as well. You know, there's lots of similar faces there as well. The club does its due diligence on its players off the pitch. So Sam Smodic, we said it last week, could have sought, could have moaned, could have been a bit of a disruptive force, etc. But he's not. And he nearly made it three and three with that um, that shot that hit the bar. He has been just superb. And, and when we're speaking about this JDT blueprint, the way that we want to play, what is the style, what is the pattern, that energy, that press, the stuff in the second half, I think you're absolutely right. The reason Sheffield United looks so poor is I think we literally, just metaphorically, just squeezed Sheffield United. We just had the grit around their neck. And we necessarily didn't have loads of shots or batter them in that sense. But we were like a a snake coil, if you can just imagine that. We're just suffocating our opponent. That's what we did. And the way that we make that happen is through that work rate, through that press, through that energy in the middle of the park in particular. And Sam Smodic, both going forward with the types of runs that he makes, that fluidity and position that you're talking about, but then his work rate to get back, i.e. he was in our box and then drove up the pitch for the goal that we're talking about. They're the things that that you talk about with Sam Smodic. So, as you say, the absolute kind of epitome and and icon for the team at the moment with the level of performances that we've had. And what a problem, again, to have that Bradley Dack won't walk into the side. This is what I want going into the final throws of the season. You want those lads coming off the bench thinking, right, I'm going to be the one to get the winner in this one, to get Rovers into the top six. That's what you want. And equally... With Dak in particular, they don't need to rush him back. No. You know, we've seen how long it can take. And I think when he got injured, everyone was like, oh dear, what are we going to do? Because he was the only real attacker in form. Now, 
you know, Ben Berrettendales came off the bench with 10 minutes to go. It wasn't even like they brought him on on the hour. Um, they, they, they're in such a rude bit of health. And I can't believe how quickly we've gone from no attackers are in form to suddenly four attackers are in form. And none of those are called Ben Berrettendales or Bradley Dack. I actually thought Ryan Edges played really well mm. at Leicester as well. So the competition for places in that forward line is as competitive as it has been all season. And I think there has been spells in the season where Thomason hasn't really trusted his squad and hasn't felt felt like the drop-off when he rotated has been quite large. And I think that's why we've seen some players not feature for a long period of time. But now it feels like there's a real togetherness in the group. There's a real competition for places. And I think we've seen that. There's so many new partnerships forging, like the way JRC's come into the team, as we spoke about. Carter and Hyam have been absolutely brilliant. I thought they defended their 18-yard box so well. I thought Carter, again, it was a really mature performance. The things I've liked about Carter have been particularly sort of on the ball and the athleticism he shows. I actually thought there were times where he wasn't brilliant on the ball at the weekend, not probably being overcritical. But what he did really well is it was more like an Ayala-style performance from him and more like a Hyam style where he just won every header, played it simple. Um, Yes, there's opportunities where he generally likes to play a little bit more. He's a bit more expansive in his passing, but... He did the basics really, really well. And then when you're next to Dom Hyam, it was just an absolute rock. He he has got to be one of the signings of the season in the championship for the, yeah. the 1.7-ish million they paid for him from Coventry City. To get someone that durable as well, he's only had a month out injured on one occasion. He's played pretty much every championship game since then. In fact, I think he has played every championship game apart from yes, that month yeah. out. He's been one of the signings of the season. So again, props to the recruitment team for getting him right. And interesting with Hyam is they tried to buy him about six weeks beforehand. He was clearly someone that had flagged up and they Coventry weren't having it. They weren't going to sell him. And they went back in the end. Coventry were a little bit more happy to do that. I don't know if their off-the-field situation changed. We know they've had issues. And clearly Rovers had identified that this is our guy. So if we have to wait for him, we'll wait for him. Yes, they were obviously looking at other options, Vandenberg, um, which fell through, but... They were always going to sign two and Hyam was their top priority and they were right to wait for him. He's been absolutely fantastic. And it's these forging partnerships going into the final 11 games of the season. When you compare the mood around the club now in the first week of March compared to where it was last season and the downward trajectory the team was on, Brereton Diaz had got injured at West Brom. Compared to where they are now, it feels like they're hitting stride. And for so many times this season it's been really difficult with Blackburn to judge them because I'm trying, you don't want to be overcritical as media. We, we all want Blackburn to do well. I know we are independent media, but ultimately we local media want the team to do well. If they do well, people read stories more and it ultimately creates good atmosphere for everyone. There's been so many opportunities where they picked up results, but the performances haven't matched and we've had to be, yeah, the fourth in the table, the second in the table, but, you know, it wasn't a shot when they got turned over at, at Burnley in terms of the result because Burnley were a better team ultimately. But now it really feels like they deserve some respect because the performances are 100% backing up the results. They are playing the best football they've played all season. They're 11 games unbeaten in 2023. They've only lost once, which was obviously a shocker at Rotherham. I don't see another Rotherham-style performance coming this season. I just don't. They will lose games, of course they will. They're not going to win and go unbeaten until the end of the season. But it'll be narrow, tight wins. The consistency is far better. They're a more stable team, which is what Thompson has spoken about. And that's so exciting for Blackburn Rovers fans, for us as local media. 
it finally feels like the jigsaw is starting to come together. Yeah, and I think all of us are starting to get that little feeling that, you know, is something special about to happen for this season. We've been here before. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that we <clears throat> might have had identical points, if not one or two points. Certainly were before the weekend, they were identical. Yeah, to this stage last season, and we know what happened. But I think the thing that is filling me with confidence as a Rovers fan this season is <clears throat> where last season you started to see just the the early rumblings of that form dipping and the four wins in 20 games or whatever. You know, it started to feel like we were going down the graph. We're actually starting to go in the other direction at a really key point in the season. So that is what's filling me with the confidence as a Rovers fan. I also look at, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, at the teams that are around us and some of those are being inconsistent at the moment. We've all got to play each other. So there is going to be opportunities for us to get the points whether it's 74 points, 75 points, 76 points, we have got the opportunities to get the points. And I think consistency and partnerships, what you just said there, are two key things here as well. Because when I think about sides that have been promoted in the past, over the last few years, they can name settled, consistent sides. I could probably still name you now the lead side that got promoted or the Reading side that got promoted or the good sides that we've seen go up. You can probably name them. You can say who is their left back, right back, centre mid, strikers, whatever. And that's what we're able to do with Rovers now. You know, sometimes we might see Morton instead of Buckley. Sometimes we see Brereton Diaz instead of uh, Smodic or something like that. But on the whole, our side is really settled. And then that word partnerships that you said there, spine of the team is where we've got those partnerships now. Travis and Buckley, Carter and Hyam. You could call it a four-way partnership up front. You could call it that, couldn't you? That's really important. When you've got that spine, when you've got that consistency, results at this stage of the season start to happen. And I think, again, that's what's filling me with confidence as a fan because we've had previous seasons where we weren't able to name a settled side. We did have those injuries. We did have square pegs in round holes, if you want to call it that. So those two things coming together now are what is filling me with confidence. And JDT and the team take all the plaudits for that because whatever they're doing on the training pitch, whatever they're doing mentally with the players, whatever they're doing at this stage of the season, which is roughly the same group of lads that we had last season and we had the dip, whatever they've done and whatever they've identified, absolutely fantastic. And with 11 games to go, they are six points off second place Sheffield United. They do have a game in hand, which they will play as we record on Monday. I'm not sure if it's Tuesday or Wednesday night, but they played this midweek against Reading, which is their game in hand. No one's expecting a top two till you've got, you've got to ultimately keep your eyes. Your eyes are on seventh place. They've got a four point gap um, over seventh. I think it's Millwall in seventh yeah. with 11 to go, which is not a bad position to be in. How many points do they need? If they could win five of their next 11, couple of draws in there, maybe that would take them on to 17 on the 58 they're on. That would take them to 75 points. I think Blackburn Rose would be incredibly unlucky to finish with 75 points ultimately and not get in the top six this season. And particularly when so many teams are going to take points off each other. They've got a favourable-ish run coming up, you would have to say, when they've got Reading, Stoke, Birmingham after the international break, because it is going to get tough at the end of April. They've finished the season now with the Burnley game being rearranged with um, Luton, Burnley, Millwall. Those are three teams that yeah, Burnley will probably already be promoted by that point, but they're not going to want to give Blackburn Rovers a helping hand by any means. Luton and Millwall will be right in the mix 
and they will be gunning for those points as well. Could well go down to the to the point get uh, to the den where they need a point, and Millwall need a point, for example. It's going to be so tight. So getting these points on the board in sort of the next three or four weeks is going to be really, really important. You know, five wins seems realistic to me. Five wins, a couple of wins, uh, four defeats. That would be potentially. I think that's that's not an awful expectation, and I think it's realistic, and that's got to be the aim. It feels really doable and I'm looking at the rest of the fixtures and I've actually got our chance for top six separated into two chances, if you want to call it that. So chance one is if we continue this run of form and the way that we've been playing and the confidence that we're playing with, when you look at Stoke away, Reading at home, Birmingham away as the next three, you'd like to think that we can get a good run of points there. Nine would it needs be to be at least seven, seven <clears throat> points, really, doesn't it? Yeah, seven, I think, you know, is, is realistic. Nine would obviously be fantastic. Then you're looking at Norwich at home. Why can't we beat Norwich at home? They're a playoff rival. Then you're going into Huddersfield away and then Hull at home. So how many games was that? One, two, three, four, five, five six. six. Six games. Get four wins, three wins, you know, three wins, two draws, four wins. Tw- I, I think 12 points is from those six games is more than achievable. And what they probably need to take the pressure off a little bit with that run of games that follow. And so that brings me on to then chance two, because if you blow chance one, it's not a complete disaster. It's obviously chance two is the harder way of doing it because of the teams that we've got. But actually, it then becomes a little bit of a bonus that you're playing the teams in and around you because Coventry is next after Hull. I think Coventry are going to maintain this bit of form. There's something about them at the moment they make it difficult at Coventry in particular. They've got Giocares. You know, I think Coventry are going to be there. So Coventry is a tough game. Preston away always causes problems. Local derby. We they're... won't be playing Preston then anyway because they'll be in the semi-finals. So that'll be rearranged anyway. I like your uh, I like your style there. When that game gets played, probably in 2028, judging by our fixtures at the moment, who knows? But Preston away is tough. They will love the opportunity to knock us down a peg and not make the top six. Then apply that to absolutely the next one, which is Burnley. But then the final two, actually, it would still be in our hands. Luton at home and Millwall away. That, that's the point. That's really good, actually. That, what, what I was going to say is at least, no matter what, realistically, it's going to be in Rovers' hands. Yeah. And Luton at home and Millwall away. Millwall away in particular on the last day. Can you imagine <laughs> if Millwall or Rovers need a win to make the top six? I couldn't think of any worse place to go than the Den. Like, what an atmosphere they will generate there. And when we're talking about whether these group of young lads in the Rovers squad have got the cojones to make the top six, well, they'll find out at the Den, won't they? So hopefully we don't have to go down the chance to route. But as you say, it'll all be in our own hands. But I'm just identifying those two things there. So good runner points in that first chance, in that first batch, will take the pressure off the second chance and we can get away with a couple of draws or a win or something like that. But if it doesn't go to plan, it's still within our own hands. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's 
been a really positive podcast so far, Ryan, and I don't want to move too far away from that, but we do need to talk about the elephant in the room, Lewis O'Brien. That case finally came to a head this week. A line has been drawn in the sand. It, It only took a month after the transfer window shut for a decision to be made. It's not happening. Gutting for the player, first and foremost, I want to stress that point because I do think, I feel for Lewis O'Brien more than anyone, as much as we'd have all loved him to sign for Blackburn Rovers and what an addition he would have been, I feel most sorry for him, ultimately, because yeah. he, he's been let down by several different parties. I'm certainly not taking the Steve Cooper approach where the, the blame all lies at Rovers' door, but Greg Broughton admitted that, that Blackburn ultimately are, are culpable slightly for this. I think the EFL are massively culpable as well. And ultimately, sadly, it's the player that's that's really suffered and missed out. The independent arbitrator ruled with the EFL that ultimately Rovers' mitigating factors were not strong enough and were not um, sufficient reasoning for them to grant um, to grant approval for his registration. It's what we expected ultimately. That's what Greg Broughton expected. It was set out from the start that this was going to be a bit of a long shot. But I think probably hope grew by how far Rovers were willing to push it and the sort of financial costs that they've they've been happy to put behind it for the players' sake probably as much as their own. So they, they clearly believe they've got they've got a case. But I'm kind of a little bit relieved, I have to be honest, that there's finally been a line drawn in the sand. Yeah, we've got the closure and we've covered it on this pod in terms of my feelings about things. You know, I'm not going to hang anyone to dry out at Rovers. You know, mistakes have happened. Human beings are involved. We'll learn the lessons. Hopefully Greg Broughton will you know, improve the process and procedure in, in that side so that we don't miss out on what is a fantastic player. I absolutely share the sentiment you do. I'm gutted for Lewis O'Brien. A 23, 24-year-old footballer at the peak of his powers should not be being robbed of playing time. And I just don't understand why the EFL couldn't apply a little bit of discretion here. I don't understand why common sense couldn't have prevailed. But actually, I do understand that because... They don't want to set precedents. They don't want other teams saying, well, you did it for O'Brien. Why can't you do it for us? They're covering their own backsides, aren't they? Ultimately? Totally. Because totally. it benefits no one. <clears throat> it doesn't. And the from a Rovers point of view, you know, this is the Rovers podcast. I just hope it doesn't bite us because if I think about the pass that Lewis Travis made away at QPR for the Smodic goal, we might need a pass like that, a little moment of brilliance when it's tight in games. And I think Lewis O'Brien would have been a player that could do that, could just spot that one moment to turn that nil-nil into a one-nil, potentially turning that against Luton at home or Millwall away. That is the quality of him. That's the bit that I think everyone was just disappointed with the decision. So it's over to our group of players now. We've been talking about them on all of this pod. There is no reason why Rovers now can't make the top six without Lewis O'Brien with the way that we're playing. But I'm disappointed that we are losing out on him because he ultimately would have made us a better squad and a better a better team. I suppose on you know silver linings, it's a decent time to bury bad news with the current form. I think yeah. had this come a week into February, this decision, I think we'd all be a lot more worried about certainly the central midfield area. The form of Lewis Travis in particular since the window shut has been nothing short of exemplary. Um, Buckley's definitely come on. Tyler Morton's done all right as well in, in different games. So a decent time to bury bad news. I think fans are, will be a lot more accepting given the timing. They want to focus on the positives. And that that has appeased some some anger and frustration. I think ultimately that it's dragged on for that long that people have just got fed up with it and, and can't be bothered to be angry anymore because the team are doing so well and they want to be positive. 
as you say, the main thing to take from this is it's got to be a learning curve for the club. It's got to be a learning curve for Greg Broughton in terms of how he wants to streamline the process. Ultimately, I do think the fact that they had a game on the same night didn't help, which is something they'll learn from if that happens again, which it might it might well do. And they've just, as you say, they've got to learn from it. Can't let this happen. And to get Lewis O'Brien to agree to come was was a huge coup. And ultimately, that hard work has been uh, has been let down by the fact that, I say, not just the Rovers. I'm not trying to hang them out to dry. I think the EFL have got plenty to answer to as well. But ultimately, we can't have this situation happening again. No. Right, more positive things. Let's move on to Stoke City and preview that match. They play um, on Friday night, of course, again on Sky Sports. Sky Sports Blackburn Rovers in action on Friday night in the Potteries. Stoke have only won back-to-back games three times this season, Ryan. Obviously, they smashed Sunderland 5-1 at the weekend. The Tony Mowbray second-half season collapse is well and truly underway in the northeast. But... Consistency has been a huge issue for Stoke under Alex Neil since he came in. I say they haven't won back-to-back games. Whenever they have won, I remember them beating Reading four 0 a little while ago when we were discussing it on my other podcast um, that covers the Championship. They just can't seem to string a run of results together. Now Rovers are going to have to be very wary going there, of course, because that's going to change at some point. Ultimately, you win five one away from home. That's going to improve the feeling and mood and atmosphere around the club. But it, it wouldn't shock me if Stoke turned in a, a tur- another turgid performance. There's no reason why Blackburn Rovers shouldn't be again. It's very it's that very similar to the QPR one where QPR got potential of changing manager. They did in the end. You're going to have to manage maybe the atmosphere a little bit for the first 10 minutes like they did at Loftus Road. But there's no reason why they can't go there and get, get the three points at all. They are one of the form teams in the Championship. Stoke are very, very hit and miss. They've not really got going and, and showed any sort of sustained period of form under Alex Neil yet. So it's another game where Rovers have got to go there and, and they'll be favourites to win. Yeah, we have to. And we won't do the superstitious thing uh, this week because you know that I'm a superstitious fan. So we're not well, gonna... they won 5-1 at least. So it's not like we're going, well, they've <laughs> not won in 18 games and to Blackburn Rovers. That's it. We're at the stage of the season now where the championship, you know, using all the old cliches, it's a tight old division. And you look at the Stoke squad and they've still got some quality players in there. You look at, you know, Nick Powell, Dwight Gale, Jacob Brown, Josh Lauren. You know, there's players there that can hurt Rovers. So that, regardless of how Stoke are playing, and as they proved on Saturday, if it clicks, it clicks and you've got players that can hurt you. So Rovers are going to have to do what they've had to do in every single championship game this season. If they're up for the fight, if they want to work hard, if they want to play their style of football, if they're brave in possession, all those things that we've just been talking about, I've got no doubt that we can go to Stoke and win. If we fall below those levels, I think Stoke will punish us because they are going to be confident and excited off the back of that 5-1. You know, that's one that just dusts off the cobwebs for them. They've been playing crap a lot of the times this season. So they can now think, right, park the rest of the season Let's see what we can do for, you know, the remainder of the season and and see what we can do. On the flip side, brilliant opportunity for Rovers. This is the stage of the season where you have to put pressure on your rivals. And our main rivals at this point, Millwall, Luton, Norwich and, you know, others like Coventry and Watford. So to play on a Friday night and signal your intent and say, right, you lot, you go and win. It's a good opportunity for us, actually, on Friday. So it'll be fantastic if we could get the win and carry on this run of form. And I don't see any reason why we can't, regardless of the fact that Stoke won 5-1 at the weekend. What do you make of the psychological factor that, as you say, Rose for the second week in a row will be playing before anyone else? 
I think the Rovers have proven that they're up for the psychological battle, just with everything that we've spoken about this pod and previous. Yes, we're a young do, squad. Do you think it is a psychological advantage to play first? Um, I think it can also be a psychological disadvantage because I think you can start thinking about, oh, if we lose, what happens if Luton win or whatever? So I think it can work both ways. But ultimately, I think it's an advantage, especially if it goes right, of course. If you can be sat there as Rovers saying, we're on 61 points now going into the weekend, that looks quite a big gap for some teams. You know, if I just bring up the table again, um, you know, we're on, what, 58. So that would put us on to 61. Millwall would be looking at Rovers on 61 and they're on 54. Coventry on 52. Watford on 51. Um, have Watford got a game in the midweek? I don't think they do. I don't believe so. So to be, te- albeit there's games in hands involved here, but for Watford psychologically to look at Rovers with 10 games to go, 10 points ahead, that starts to play with the psychology of the other teams. So I think it's a real fantastic opportunity for Rovers and you know, that would look really good for us. Seven points away from Millwall going into their fixture. Um, you know, and let's look at who they've got as well in their fixtures. So Millwall away at Reading. Okay, it's probably a game they would fancy winning. Luton away at Sheffield United. That's come up trumps for us a little bit there. Um, and then who have Norwich got? Uh, Sunderland at home, which, you know, who knows what Tony Mowbray side will turn up. So, you know, plenty of reasons here why Rovers should fancy their chances on Friday and relish the opportunity to put that pressure on. Yeah, there's, there is three fixtures in midweek. It's Sheffield United away at Reading, which are of interest to Rovers, and, and West Brom at home to Wigan, which you would expect them to win. Huddersfield and Bristol City not really involved either way. Team selection, for it's just got to be the same team for me. I, I wouldn't be making any changes. I think this is going to be quite a short segment this week. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Like, why would you? And, um, you know, I've not had the chance to talk about Ty Dolan previously. We've spoken about Sam Smodic, but Ty Dolan, he looks like a play- He looks like a striker now. He looks like a finisher. He looks like an attacker. I think in his whole... He looks time- really comfortable off that left. And I think we've always wondered what is Ty Dolan's best position. Yeah, I- his his best performance has come on the left for me in this run of games. It's the best I've seen him play this season. Yeah, and I think what I've noticed with Dolan as well, I think in his time at Rovers, I don't think you would class him as like a natural finisher. But these last few weeks, you've just seen him. Actually, he's finishing the ball. You know, he's finishing that football. The goal against Blackpool, the desperately unlucky chance, you know, when he hit the post against Sheffield United. The finish, albeit Everson could have done better away at Leicester. These are all good finishes. You know, they're not tap-ins. They're great finishes. So, brilliant. Dolan absolutely has to keep his place, as do the rest of the side. So, yeah, I agree with you. And keep Brereton Diaz thinking, should I sign this pre-contract or should I stay here? This is a good side. You know, just keep him ticking over on that bench. And I've got no doubt he'll be fit and raring to go because we burnt him out last season. You know, let's just make no mistake. We burnt him out, as did Chile. So this little rest for Brereton Diaz going into that business end of the season after the international break, not a bad move to make there. Score predictions. I think Blackburn are going to win. I'm going to keep on the positivity train. I'm going for five in a row in the league. I'm going for a nil-one victory. Stoke are not very good at scoring goals at home, which I know sounds contradictory when they've just put five past Sunderland. Generally speaking, they've been they have struggled to score goals this season consistently. So I'm going to go for a 1-0 Rovers away victory. A lovely Friday night treat for everyone to kickstart their weekend. What about you? I will go for a 2-1 Rovers victory. Just because you said Stoke don't score many at home and I'm a superstitious fan. So I'm just going to say that Stoke are going to score at home just because you said that. So I'm going to say 2-1 Rovers. Um, I think away from home and the pattern that we're 
playing with at the moment. I think it suits us a lot away from home against sides like this. So I can see Rovers going there and being really positive on the front foot, doing all those same things. And really, wouldn't surprise me if we went 2-0 up and then Stoke pulled one back. You know, I think we might just attempt to just to set through. up a nervy finish. Yeah, because we always do, because they think it's funny, don't they, Rovers? Putting old people like me through the uh, through the ringer in that sense. Hey, I think from some of Jon's comments, I think he's uh, he's very much in the same boat where he's, he's sick of, probably a bit sick of having his art racing going into the 93rd minute. <laughs> yeah, so 2-1 Rovers, I can see he's going 2-0 up, blitzing them a bit, and then yeah, maybe Stoke will get that goal, so 2-1. Right, we'll round off this week's podcast now with our Rovers riddle. Ryan, how did you get on last week? So we had uh, a cup of coffee at the hotel. I got that one. That is Joe Hilton. Correct. And the Welsh Saint was feeling down. Did not get that one. The only thing I can think with Welsh Saint was obviously St. David, but then it, how many Davids have Rovers had over the years? And I just couldn't make that second bit fix. David Lowe. Eh, yes, of course. Lowe, Lowe. Ugh. 50%. We had a few messages. We got quite a few that actually got both this week, not to try and rub it in by any means, but um, that was nice to see. So we had a, a fair few that got them in. Make sure you're tweeting us in uh, your submissions and your score predictions for the upcoming games at Inside Brockle. This week's Rovers Riddle, we have... these are. I will just say these are last names only for these ones. Um, grab yourself a laptop for nothing. And that farm animal is looking a bit discoloured. So these are only last names for those two. So Ryan will let you uh, go away and have a little think, rack your brain, and we'll come back on next week's podcast. As I say, make sure you're tweeting us at Inside Brockle. Go and follow the account, and you'll uh, you'll get all the uh, the latest info on Blackburn Rovers from there. And that rounds off this week's podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your pods from, um, whether that's Apple, Google, Spotify. We're all on all of those platforms, so make sure you are subscribed. Leave us a little review as well. We're told that that makes a difference. So if you uh, you have an extra couple of minutes, you're enjoying the podcast. We've had loads of really kind messages about the pod since we started about a month ago. So thank you for those. Keep them coming. Hope you enjoy this episode as always. And we'll catch you next weekend for another episode of the Inside Brockle podcast. Yeah.